I'm Salem uh, من سيريا specifically إدارية. Okay. And uh, I have a new baby. My wife uh, when prank uh, my son. I uh, outside the very big room. A lot of, of baby. My friends. Uh, this look this uh, your baby. Uh, I'm looking this uh, no, not. After then I look outside. Uh, there the baby. He was uh, uh, asleep. You knew your baby without or before the doctor tells you that this is your baby. Um, they were in the hospital and uh, his wife was still uh, like in the surgery room and there were babies in the second room and his friend told him this is your uh, child. So he's saying that no, my heart said no because my heart didn't beat for him and my heart showed me that my baby is there and I was right. So the, he guessed where his baby is before the doctors told him. Welcome to the fifth episode of Refugee Stories. My name is Jessica Stone, and today you're listening to Salem. Do you think any of your children are like you? Do you see like yourself in, in your children, in their behavior? Yes, uh, the first uh, girl similar with me for I love it all the people that uh, help any uh, people. Second, his name Safa, very dangerous sometimes and very nervous, not all the time, sometimes also. And son, his name Hamoudi Muhammad. Very love, a lot of move, a lot of play. You need help. Any any person who is need any person you need help can uh, he can help him. Uh, also, Karim, yes, generous. By the way, the name Karim means generous or noble in Arabic. So it's fitting that Salam's son Karim is indeed generous. Uh, and uh, I have a new baby. I don't know uh, what uh, the future what is. Um, the new baby uh, very similar to me in the future. Maybe, I think that. What kinds of games did you like to play as a child? So he said that uh, the most common things they used to do as uh, when they were uh, younger. Uh, there are 17 football playing yards there and swimming pools they, they used to go at night, but of course they had to pay money. It wasn't for free. For winter, um, they used to play chess. So they, they used to organize a championship for chess between themselves and do it. And for the football, they are 10 brothers. So they used to split into two groups, five against five, and they used also to play against each other football. <laughs> Were you on the winning side? Uh, sometime win, sometime lost. Mm. Yes. Where are you in your family? Are you older or younger? Yes. Or? I have um, uh, seven uh, biggest from me. Two smaller. Smaller. Smaller, yes, yeah. from me. Yes. I, I am third smaller. Mm-hmm. Eight uh, big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, 
ويعني وكنا مرتاحين يعني بس مو هل رياحة so it was a good life but it wasn't as it should be because they were still somehow suffering from the situation from like that that poor poorness and poor situation his education was not good as it should be also because education in Syria was a privilege for the rich people uh, so he first finished the first stage the second stage and when he comes to attend the high school he stopped because he was uh, like obliged to go to uh, serve in the military and he said like th- these five years is like nothing because he has to serve two and a half years and the year after these like also he has to pay all the debt that he got to pay for things when he was in the military so he says that all these years were like a kind of catastrophe because he did nothing especially at this time he's um, in his like power the youth has so he didn't use this power uh, for anything beneficial for his life Was this um, a common experience? Did most young men go to join the military at this age? So, uh, yes, this is uh, obligatory in Syria when you reach the age 18, all youth have to go to serve in the military and uh, they take, they took them to several like to far cities not on they don't serve in the city where they live. Syria is one of those countries with compulsory military service for all men. And although it's not always been the focus of international reporting on the civil war, it is a big part of the reason that so many young men have fled the country. In fact, when the protests first started in 2011, there were reports by witnesses who spoke to the BBC and Human Rights Watch that soldiers who disobeyed orders to use force against protesters were punished severely. Some were sent to detention, others were beaten, and there were even reports that some were killed for their refusal to obey orders. Of course, Salem did his military service years ago, long before 2011, and he didn't tell me that he was badly treated in the military, nor that he was forced to do anything he didn't want to. But the key role that compulsory military services played in the lives of many Syrians and the influence it continues to have on many young Syrian men today cannot be discounted. Many young men in the rebel-led opposition were originally conscientious objectors before the rebels fractured and radicalised into what they are today. Uh, I job uh, here, a similar job in Syria, okay? Oh, everything, anything, uh, remember my in Syria, anything. Even uh, I... Uh, I get motorbike, a similar uh, motorbike for, uh, in Syria there. So everything reminds him with Syria here, his motorcycle, his job, but the, and the, the he remembers Syria every day in the morning, but uh, what is not the same is the house because he used to live in more, like, better house than here. Yeah, he's now he's living in a tent here and in Syria he was living in a proper house. Salem is like many refugees currently working in Lebanon, in that long before the war started, he regularly came to Lebanon, to much the same area, 
and worked in a job not so different to the one he has now. He was part of something that is called circular migration, where people migrate for labour and then return to their homelands when they're finished, and maybe do this every year, or not, as the case may be. It is extraordinarily common all over the world, and sometimes it crosses borders, and sometimes it doesn't. These kinds of patterns of human movement often lay the groundwork for later migration. Many Syrians worked in Lebanon for years, so it made perfect sense to go to a familiar country where they had employment contracts when they had to flee the war. According to an assessment by the International Labour Organization Regional Office for the Arab State, only around 47% of working-age refugees are working in some fashion, and the majority of these had some employment history in Lebanon before the war broke out. And these people currently working also tend to do the same types of jobs as they did before. Salem is a textbook example of this. He already had a lot of contacts in Lebanon before the war, and because he's excellent at what he does, he's managed to parlay these connections into a proper job where he works mostly consistently. And it's something he truly loves, two things which are very rare indeed for refugees in Lebanon. So uh, he's saying that what makes him not to feel that much stranger and makes him feel safe is that the Lebanese people here are nice, most of them are nice, and they treat him good. And the second thing that he's living with a lot of Syrian here, and this makes him feel like he's in Syria. And what's better is, or make it more like familiar, that most of the people here in this camp, they are from Daraya. And, but the, unfortunately, he didn't know them when they were old in Daraya. He met them here and he wished that he met them before. And uh, sometimes he leaves the house for one week, but he, he feels safe because all the people here help his uh, wife and his children and they go to buy for them things for the house. So yeah, he doesn't feel stranger. Do you think this is a part of Syrian culture to to look after each other like that? So this exists. Uh, this has existed for a long time. For example, in the the way the street or the city where they lived, if when when they cook for the day, they share the food of the plate. So they send them what they cook for today, and the other house returns the plate like not empty but filled with food what the other house cooked. Where you grew up, is your family um, from that area originally? Like, are you from a family that has lived there for a hundred years, your parents and grandparents? Uh, all uh, my family from Daria, not, uh, not uh, outside from Daria, specifically in Daria, okay. uh, even my wife from Daria. Daraya is a working-class Sunni Muslim city very close to Damascus. Interestingly, Daraya has a claim to fame as the place where Paul the Apostle had his conversion. You might have heard of the phrase, road to Damascus, which means a sudden turning point in somebody's life. It comes from this story in the Bible, where Paul, originally a Pharisee, one of a group of people who persecuted early Christians, was converted whilst quite literally on the road to Damascus. 
Of course, several other places in the region also hold this claim. But it's an interesting fact, and it also shows that Daraya is a very, very old city indeed. Unfortunately, this historical city has seen heavy fighting during the war. The city was famous for holding non-violent protests against the government in the early days, rather poetically giving both roses and water to army soldiers. All of this changed after 3,000 Free Syrian Army fighters made Daraya their base. Once this happened, Daraya became a target. In August 2012, the Free Syrian Army claimed to have killed 30 soldiers close to Daraya. In retaliation, the city was surrounded by tanks and military checkpoints from the 16th of August, and then cut off from electricity from the 18th of August. The city was then bombarded with airstrikes, and soldiers invaded the town, starting what is now known as the Daraya Massacre. According to reports not long after, when the army arrived, they pulled people out of their homes and killed them outside. In general, women were allowed to run away, but most males were killed, whether they were boys or old men. There were some reports of regime soldiers giving bread to the locals and providing medical attention but there were more reports of execution-style massacres. Estimates vary, but somewhere between 200 and 500 people may have been killed. And in the years afterwards, the Syrian army made more and more advances on Daraya. By August 2016, there was an agreement made, and both rebels and some civilians were allowed to evacuate and escape, essentially surrendering the city. Of course, Salem and his family had left long before that point. Even this juice that we are drinking now is from Daraya. It's handmade. It's uh, nothing like artificial. It's the flower. They squeeze the flowers and they make this juice and it's original. You know, nothing artificial. Uh, before my uh, father and my uh, grandfather, all plant was uh, organic, natural, and not any chemist, not any machine change all uh, or land. The main reason why he prefers organic because no fertilizers are used anymore. And before he used to do this, uh, he used to remove all the unwanted grass and herbs beside the plants uh, but later he recognized that this is a wrong way because these are being used as a fertilizer as a natural fertilizer and now uh, sometimes when they remove all these herbs and grasses they put them and for a long time and press them somewhere then they will be changed to fertilizers and they can put they can put them uh, back to the field so in this way they are no longer using fertilizers yeah. He's talking about composting, yeah. I think. Near uh, future, uh, I plan uh, school, small school. He's, he's proposing or has a uh, an idea in his mind that he will he needs a six thousand meter square. Then he will build like these greenhouses, and he wants to make everything organic. And uh, from this six thousand meters, he will make a small school and uh, take all the Syrian children there and even Lebanese and teach them how to be organic and how not to throw anything, especially the food that you want to throw in the house, you can use them to change them to 
organic fertilizers. Like he strongly believes that every house, there should be a member that knows about these organic issues. Uh, for example, in Ramadan, a lot of people throw food. And here in this uh, camp, they know that Salem has chicken here, so they bring the food here for the chicken. And he was, he already had a lot of uh, food, then he used to put them in barrels and compose, what is the word is that? Yeah, uh, to, to make it. And um, he really insists that one day, even if nobody supported him, he will do it by himself to gather children, uh, people or young people, starting with the age 15, and teach them how to do this because we can live in this kind of life where we will not throw anything of the unwanted food or the food that remains after our meals because it can be used. Are all of your um, brothers gardeners then, the whole family? Uh, the very uh, famous job, uh, all my uh, family, is uh, crafting uh, roads. All the fruit crafting. This uh, very uh, job famous in my family. So he already mentioned before he started speaking English that uh, that ten the ten uh, siblings they all work in this and he mentioned like this uh, kind of job like was born with us as if they are inherited from their parents. They are very much interested in such domain. I would like to point out here that the region that is now known as Syria was one of the places where agriculture was first developed and. Much like the rest of the world, organic, small-scale family farming was standard for many Syrians up until relatively recently. Uh, some uh, my brother just uh, specifically crafting uh, apple, and uh, some uh, my brother famous uh, very uh, plant land. Yes, uh, me and my one brother and maybe two brother, uh, the very famous all the this work. Uh, plant uh, and uh, crafting and uh, change color the rose. I can make uh, two color from one uh, rose. Uh, so he's telling me that uh, he already make, made one tree giving five kinds of fruits. Um, what is it that you enjoy about doing this? Step by step, again by again. The result and a very beautiful job, yes. I Maybe I make a lot of money, but not here, <laughs> because I don't have any land and don't have any, any machine, yes. I have a question for you, actually. You seem to have a lot of plans for the future, like a lot of goals. Have you always been like this? You seem very determined. <laughs> So he's saying that he wasn't like this when he was in Syria because he was somehow satisfied. But uh, now when he came to Lebanon, he has more responsibilities. Other than his children, he cares about his neighbor's children. What do you hope for the future? What are you imagining for your future? Uh, now, uh, just uh, think, what do you do tomorrow? <laughs> and what do you do after month? What do you do after one year because a lot of uh, very problem uh, here Uh, my daughter you need school Uh, school you need a lot of money Uh, school you need money from the car sent to uh, school change that and they need a lot of money 
pay أجار الأرض أجار yes I need a lot of money from any person my wife also me yes future I imagine I need I also need finish the finish the war in Syria just this I need that here I just I think uh, how live uh, my ch- children just uh, me I don't need anything just my uh, family that was the fifth episode of refugees stories this episode was made in association with Salam LADC if you would like to donate to Salam, I recommend donating via PayPal at donation at salamladc.org. That's D-O-N-A-T-I-O-N at S-A-L-A-M-L-A-E-D-C dot org. Of course, all statements are my own and are not to be blamed on Salam in any way. They merely provided the support for this project of mine and should not be held responsible for my political beliefs or probable errors and misunderstandings. This episode was sponsored by Hindenburg Audio Suite, the fantastic audio editing program that was used in the making of this episode. Head to their website, hindenburg.com, that's H-I-N-D-E-N-B-U-R-G.com, to learn more about this excellent program, particularly if you're interested in making your own podcast. For the music, thanks go to Alpha Male, Broke for Free, and Jilly Cuddy. And of course, an enormous and very grateful thanks to Muhammad Hamoud for his hard work translating. And as always, another big thank you to Miguel Isota Sanjeth for being such a good support. Thank you also to Salem himself and to all the other refugees who let me into their homes and trusted me with their stories. I can only hope that these stories go out into the world and help others to understand the situation. And finally, my name is Jessica Stone. I'm the writer and producer of this podcast. Thank you for listening to Salem's Story. <laughs>